for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Today's episode is brought to you by Goats 365, my membership program for people who are living with, learning about, and loving goats 365 days a year. Basic members get access to six courses covering housing, fencing, parasites, nutrition, and health, as well as things like composting goat manure and the basics of starting a goat-based business. Premium members also have the opportunity to attend live online meetings via Zoom to talk about goats every month. Visit goats365.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a really interesting conversation because we are going to be talking today about one of the goat breeds that most people have probably never even heard of. And I was lucky enough back in the days when my children were home and we showed goats that we went to a goat show where we met today's guest. Today, we're talking to Cliss Foster, who raises Sable Dairy Goats, and her website is sabledairygoats.org, and she raises goats under the herd name Cliss's Kids Dairy Goats. Welcome to the show today, Cliss. Hi. Let's start with the absolute basics. Um, how did you get into goats? And then of all the breeds that you had to choose from, why did you choose Sable Dairy Goats? Okay, so we got into goats because my younger brother had an allergy to cow milk. So he did the soy milk, which was super gross back in the day. And then as he was getting out of his milk allergy, my dad and I started having problems. And then my mom and dad decided it was just easier to perhaps get a goat than deal with all the milk allergies. And he was getting ready to retire out of the Air Force. So we were going to be moving to where we could have critters. And so that's where we got our first goats, which was actually a grade Sonnen Nubian doe. And then I got my first Sonnen type doe in 1981. We got our first goats in 1980. I'm old. <laughs> and the Sonnen, we actually got three Sonnen type does. They were from somebody who lived near somebody who raised Sonnens, but she would buy this person's coals at a sale barn. And she had been doing this long enough that even though she herself had started with the Nubian, they were basically Sonnen type. They had, you know, maybe a teeny little bit of a Roman nose, but old fashioned Sonnens have those Roman noses anyway. Short ears, you know, they were all white. That was in southeastern Idaho. And then when my dad retired all the way, he got a job in South Central Washington. And that is where I found out about the American Dairy Goat Association through my 4-H leader then. And I was a senior in high school. And so we had been breeding our does to basically any bucks we could find just to keep them in milk because mom and dad didn't want to keep a buck. And every time we would breed my doe, she would have something colored. And so actually the first salmon type, well, he was a, he was a purebred salmon buck, actually, that my mom bought. Um, and we bred him to my does. We got colored kids and I was taking them to the fair. And of course, since my doe, the dam was a grade we showed as grades. So her kids were always grades, no matter what color they were. So we were showing them there and everybody kept calling them sables. And I'm like, no, they're, they're not sables. They're just colored sonnens. They, <laughs> I'm like, they're just colored sonnens. And they're like, no, Chris, they're sables. I'm like, no, no, they are just colored sonnens. And they, I mean, I say, 
duh, a sable is a colored sun. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess then they are sables. <laughs> <laughs> so I always kind of just had a few, but then they were always great. They were great experimental because they were native on appearance, kind of deal the dam was. Then we started getting more sonnins. And then I was at the national show in 95 when it was in Oregon. And there was somebody there that had a sable buck, Sharon Richardson, who had the gold seal herd, little paradise herd of Sonnens. And she had an old sable buck that she was actually getting ready to ship to Canada. And I'd been kind of bugging her about him. And she finally decided that I could have him. And so I got him and brought him home and bred him to about everything that I had. And then also about that time little later no about that time I also got a really nice purebred sonnen buck from Lorian Fern Apton that was a sonnen he actually ended up being a tidy whitey any color at all to him no matter what I did which was fine and I tried to keep my sonnen types sonnen you know the white and then my colored ones I tried to keep colored and so I always had to cool really hard and then I actually got where because everybody in the Pacific Northwest shares their genetics which is so awesome for a new person so you don't have to worry about so a lot of the crap that you find, I guess, in some of the other areas of the country. But I finally got where my Sonnens were actually competing up there with Lori and like Kelly Gann and Pat Hendrickson and all that. And then I started having more fun with the Sables because everybody had really nice Sonnens there in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, you know, it's a little bit more challenging to do the Sables. So I decided I was going to cut back and I sold a lot of my Sonnens out. Not that I had a lot anyway. And then I just started looking for sables more wholeheartedly. And it was a struggle. Sometimes I would get a buck and the picture of the dam would look really nice. And then I'd use them and the kids would just turn out hideous. <laughs> so I'd lose all the kids for that year. And kind of. And I tried doing some AIs with some of the really, really old stuff, which would be like the Arizona's herd or the Sonandoa herd. And some of those didn't turn out quite so good. And then Lori Acton ended up having a sable buck born to one of her two-year-old first fresheners. And she offered him to me because she said he was going to, he was supposed to go down to California as a weather for some kind of a microtechnology firm where they were going to harvest his blood for something. They were going to seed him and harvest blood. But she let me have him. And then he ended up being after Moonshadow, Gold Seal Moonshadow, who ended up being Triumph's dad, who was my my one doe that I'm super well named for, she was four-time national champion, linear appraisal, score of 93, and she had over 50 best in show wins. Wow. Yeah, she was a she was a cool girl. And then I got Lori's buck, and he helped quite a bit. And then I kind of picked up just a few here and there randomly from different places. I got a really nice one from Noble Springs. And you know, just kind of here and there. And then now there's a big pot of sables in the Missouri. There's a big pot of them here in Indiana. And there's a big pot of them in Washington and Idaho. So it's gotten a lot easier to find good stuff. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with sables, really, um, you mentioned that it's just a colored saunan. Can you explain that to a little more? Yeah, actually, the People that started the original sable movement used to call them sonnens in party clothes because <laughs> they were, most of them were sun gal and they, that would look like a tux, you know? So it's basically, they are all sonnen genetics. 
and they can be purebred or American at this point, but they are just colored. So as long as they don't meet sawn and breed standards, which means as long as they're not white or really light cream, they are a sable. And there is no minimum of color. Like they can have a two inch spot or a five inch spot or, you know, a dorsal stripe, but you know, that's kind of the deal. As long as they don't meet sawn and breed standard, then they're good for sable. Okay. Cause I think it gets a little confusing with like the registration and stuff. So if you have a son and goat, which is white or very light cream that has a colored baby, then they can be registered as a sable. It can. Yeah. It's the breeders okay. option if they want to register it as a sable or if they don't want their genetics going into the sable herd book, they can record it as a grade. Okay. So there is an option for the owner and the owner or the breeder is the only one that is allowed to make that choice. If you sold the kid and the owner and the new owner wants to get it registered, it still depends on what the breeder wants to register it as. Okay. And they can be any color. They can be black, brown, chocolate, spotted, like any color, seriously. Okay. And then if you're raising sables that are registered as sables and a white kid pops out, what can you do with that? It's an experimental. Okay. Which kind of sucks because then if you want to take that back towards son and you actually have to go four generations instead of the typical three, because your first generation is starting out with a 0% sonin. Cause usually if you start out and you're breeding up your 50% would be white and you would already have that white, you know, so it takes four generations to go back. To- okay. And then some people might, look at a sable and say, well, if they can be any color and they're big and they have upright ears, what's the difference between a sable and an alpine? They're built different. Ear sets different. Ear length is different. I have a lot of mine that have donkey ears. Thank you, Mr. Leroy Brown. (laughs) A lot of them go back to the really old gold crown bloodlines. And so they have some Roman noses. But they're just, they're built different. You can pretty much tell because the Alpines have really short typey heads and they got little teeny tiny ears, (laughs) but they, they look different. Harvey Constantine said that when he was scoring with his HES system, that if you put all the scores together, you could look at the scores and tell breed wise what you were looking at because they scored differently. Right. Yeah. It sounds weird, but like, you know, after you've been to a few shows and been around sables and alpines, you really can tell the body types are different. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got five dogs that are one breed, like you can start to tell them apart (laughs) Mm -hmm. after a while that they do look different. It's not just about like the size and, you know, upright ears and stuff. So the Sonnen's And the Alpines kind of go back and forth for number one on the AGS top 10 list. And Sables are way up there too, obviously, because they've got the sauna genetics in them. So the Sable butterfat also tends to be pretty low, which usually you see that inverse, like breeds with high production tend to be lower in butterfat. I know you have a lot of goats now, so you're not just, you know, producing milk for your family to drink. Um, is there anything that you like to use the milk for specifically? No. <laughs> no, right now it's actually going. We have one calf and then my, actually my milk cow and my two dairy heifers that aren't fresh yet. They're getting the last little bits of milk that are left over because we're only milking 24 right now. And that seems like a lot, but it really isn't. 
<laughs> so I'm not being facetious. Totally small number. I do some soap and I'm kind of the atypical goat person. I actually make jam and jelly and pie filling and sell that to pay for my soap habit, which I give my soap away instead of sell my soap. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. All my friends make soap. All my goat friends make soap, but they don't do the jams and jellies and stuff. So that's how I can get my little bit of money in. Um, and then once in a while I'll do cheese, but not really that often. Most of the time I'm just busy trying to survive. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about the sables? I mean, they're a lot like Sonnen's, but I think they have a little bit more attitude. I'm not really sure because I have to be honest, when I first started out with my sonnets, the sonnets did teach me how to look at confirmation. And so I could look at my does, you know, and since they're all white, you're looking at confirmation instead. And so they taught me to look past color and look at what I should be looking at. But my friends would be like, oh, kidding season must be so exciting at your house. Oh, look, it's a white one. Oh, it's another white one. Oh, wow, it's another white one. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> But they all look different. And then it's kind of fun with the sables, too, because sometimes even when you think you know what color you're going to get, you don't get that color. And sometimes it's an oddball color. And I've had sun gal ones, which are the black with the white facial stripes and the white ears and the white legs. I've had those pop out of nowhere when I've had none of those in the background. And then this year we actually just had one born that's black and white spotted and both parents were sun gal and that hardly ever happens that you get a weirdo like that. So it's just kind of fun. Yeah. So I know you recently were at the national show for the American Dairy Goat Association. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to show your sables? Because we had Nigerians when they first got accepted to the American Dairy Goat Association. And one of the challenges back then was you had to have enough goats for a championship to count. Is that a challenge with sables still? Or are there, do you just, do you make a point of only going to shows where you know there'll be enough sables to be able to count? As far as local shows or national shows or both? Just go ahead and talk about all of them. Okay, so local shows, we have plenty. We actually have five, six, seven, seven membership numbers in our family with the same herd name. So as long as they're owned by somebody different and you have at least 10, you're good, you know, like two people. So if we're the only ones, like some of the fairs that we go to, because we do quite an extensive fair tour in the fall, as long as we have, you know, 10 plus, then we're good for that. And then it's just nice icing on the cake if somebody else comes and then there's less work for us there. Um, Nebraska is a big, huge one. But no, we don't really have to worry about the sanctioning stuff. We have more the option of, we have so many that a lot of shows will say, we will sanction Sables if you will come. And so sometimes we just, we can't go, but you know, they've always offered that choice. And then at the national show, when we first started showing, we had to literally drag everything out of the barn. And I mean, everything like as soon as we would get done with the national show, goats would get dried up, goats would get shipped to the sale barn, goats would get shipped to the butcher. I mean, just because we were trying to make the numbers and we were carrying the bulk of it, which was very, very difficult and super stressful. So when we went to Spokane, which was the, that was the first year we did exhibition, we had to drive two truck and trailers out. And that's when my oldest son was like 
three months old and I was breastfeeding and I had to drive one of the trucks and it was three days out each way. It sucked. So when all these people are like, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's like, oh, don't even go there. Don't even go there. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's a lot easier. This year we didn't make our numbers actually. So you have to have a hundred entered and then you have to have I think it's like 80 shown with 40% in milk, I think. But this year we only had like 92 entered. So we're on probation. And then next year, if we don't make our numbers again, then we'll go back on exhibition for a couple of years. So for people who are new to this, can you explain the diff- what that means about like being on probation and exhibition and all yeah, those words so, you just said? <laughs> okay. So when you have the right amount entered, then you are allowed to just keep showing. If you don't make one of the conditions for the national show, then they put you on probation, whether it's you don't have enough entered or you don't have enough shown. And so probation means you can have two years of probation. And then after your second year, then you actually, your breed will not show at the national show the next year. They'll go back to exhibition, which means you have to drag them out, but you can't show them, which is a total drag. Cause we've done that for like five years, which is calling all these goats all the way across country and then doing all the stuff like you would be at the national show, clipping them and doing all that stuff, but you can't show them. You just feed them and you just sit there and look stupid because your goats are all in their pens. So that's kind of what that is. But most normal breeds don't have a bit of problem with any of that. Just the sables. Sometimes the recorded grades or togs have dropped down that low, but they're usually fine the next year. So, yeah. Why do you think that sables haven't become more popular? At first, it was because people were, they weren't sure it was going to make it. I mean, and this was even before we got to be a breed. We were trying and trying because they actually tried back in the 70s to do this. And Some of the people that were doing it then, they were trying really, really hard. And then there was one person that had most of the records and she was in a bad domestic situation and she had the chance to leave and get out of that. And when she left, she had to leave all the records behind. And so when all those Sable records got lost, it kind of set us back a while. And then just with that, and then with Adga kind of dragging their feet and then people saying, well, they should be in the son and herd book. No, we don't want them in the son and herd book. And so it's just a lot of people that want to get into them. A lot more people are getting into them now, though. It's become way more popular than it used to be. Yeah, I know when we were showing, which was like back like 2005 to 2010, my oldest daughter loved your goats and she wanted to get sables. And I was like, we have our hands full. But they are such a wonderful breed. And I mean, they're beautiful. They're obviously excellent milk producers. And so I'm really surprised that they haven't taken off more than they have. And that, like, you know, you still have trouble getting enough goats to go to nationals to have a national show consistently. Is there something you think that like, oh, if people just knew X about sable goats, they would get them? Oof. I don't know. I think any more with the Nigerians in there, I think the new people are more looking at, oh, let's get a little Nigerian because it won't be as much work or, you know, just that big of a deal to do. And so those are the ones kind of the entryway breed for a lot of the new people anymore. I don't know. I've tried to make everything super friendly, you know, like by offering free breedings or leasing bucks or 
whatever, you know, to try not to lose the genetics when they leave the herd. But I mean, I've leased bucks in Colorado and Texas and Nebraska, and they've actually, these people would keep them for a whole year and then just swap them out to keep it going because there just weren't a lot out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain what leasing a buck means? It's where I sign a form and they sign a form and we send it to ADGA and we it gets put in their file cabinet somewhere. But that way it means that when they have my buck at their house, they can use him like he's their buck. So I don't have to sign a service memo for every single goat that he breeds. They can do all that. And then we'll just sign the end date for when he comes back here. Yeah. So it just makes it easier and more convenient. Yeah, definitely more convenient from a paperwork standpoint. But it's funny because people ask me sometimes if I lease bucks and I don't. And I just always thought of leasing bucks as being a pretty local thing, you know, that like somebody would drive to your place of maybe a couple hours, three hours, pick up a goat, take them home and then return them when they're done. But you're talking about leasing goats like a thousand miles away. That's like a crazy yeah. commitment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've we've only had one that had a problem, but the place that he went to, the bucks always came back super they were always in great condition. You know, they were mostly well-mannered. Ammon just came back and he was a psycho nut jobs. But by the time he got to be an elderly gentleman, he was fine. But he got pneumonia like right after he got there, the one buck. But I had always sent her young bucks before because she lived way up in the mountains of Colorado. And then this one time, he was two, two or three, I think, when he went. And he got pneumonia and died within six weeks. But Pretty much other than that, all the other bucks I've leased out have come back in just as good health or better health than they were when they left. So it's just, I guess, knowing and being lucky, I guess, <laughs> who you're sending them to. Yeah. So since we're on this topic of leasing bucks, like when somebody leases a buck and something like that happens where the buck dies, how does that work? I just look at it, especially like with the pneumonia, because they can get pneumonia here so easy. Um, If it's something, to my opinion, if it's something that they couldn't have prevented, it was just like a freak accident, like maybe he decided to jump over a fence one day because there were outside dogs or something and had to be put down or something like that. It's an accident and it can happen anywhere. But I also always try to make sure that my bucks that are shipped out are collected a lot before they go. So I don't have to worry about that too much. Yeah. So for those who don't know, collected means that they have semen for AI, artificial insemination. Mm -hmm. Are there a lot of sables available if somebody wants to do AI? Oh, yeah. They're available all over. Shannon Lloyd has a bunch. Julie Alberts has some. I have tons and tons because I learned how to finally collect my own semen. We actually now have four semen tanks. (laughs) They become a little bit of a semen order. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Marshall Losey has more, though. He's my idol. <laughs> more than four tanks of semen? I think he has seven or eight. <gasps> wow. I know. I'm aspiring to be like Marshall, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. But <laughs> That's funny. I'm not sure that I've heard anybody refer to semen tanks in the plural form. <laughs> so... Do you know off the top of your head how many straws you have? No, thousands. (laughs) Okay. 
thousands from, I don't know, 70 or 80 different bucks, probably. Wow. So if somebody wants to raise sables and they don't want to buck and they want to do AI, then there's tons of semen available to do that. Oh, yeah. Because I've even gone back through the, and I've picked up a lot of the old, old semen from like Karen Lewis and some of the breeders that used to have the really, really old stuff. And then there was a breeder, Judy Nelson in um, Idaho. I got a bunch of her stuff too. So I got the old, old stuff too, besides the new stuff. Okay. So how long does semen last? Forever, as long as you keep your tank charged. I think the oldest I've used would have been put up in the late seventies or early eighties. Wow. That is really something. So bucks can pretty much live forever. Forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's definitely good news for people. Because I know I've had people buy Nigerian bucks for me who have larger goats. Like I remember one person said that if her husband wasn't home when one of her goats was in heat, she couldn't get their buck. I think they had Nubians or something. She's like, I can't handle him. So I want to have a Nigerian buck so that... I don't miss this dough and heat, you know, and I I can handle something that's 75 pounds. So AI is even easier from a physical standpoint, like it weighs weighs even less than a Nigerian bug. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Wow. That's so interesting. Okay. So is there anything else that you think people should know about stables? I don't know. If you're starting in a new area, it's hard to get enough numbers. I do know that for sure. There's a few people that have kind of, they've had a run of bad luck, like they've gotten one or two and they can't get anybody near them to get sables. So sometimes you just have to settle for maybe asking your show chairperson if you can do an AOP class, which isn't all of the purebreds. So you would show with whatever breeds are smallest, you know, it's like if it's the only way you can show sometimes that's how you got to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This has been so much fun. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell everyone where they can find you online if they want to connect? You can find me my, well, my website is sabledairygoats.org. And then you can find me at closest kids, dairy goats on Facebook. I don't do any other social media because I'm (laughs) my hands full with just that. Um, And my email is, sablederrygoats at peoplepc.com. Okay, awesome. And we will have all of that in the show notes too. If people just want to go click on those things and learn more about Cliss's goats. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for asking me. (laughs) And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit fortheloveofgoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lovegoatspodcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.